This is your host, Terry Mills of Youth Military Mind. I'd like to welcome you today, and we have a special episode just for you from Dust Off Diaries. This is the podcast we got our start with. So why don't you sit back, enjoy the show. It comes from February of 2018. It is episode one, series one, and gives you the story of Dust Off and the men and women who got it started especially dedicated to the current men and women who are involved in Army Medevac or Aeromedical Evacuation called Dust Off. Also a special announcement note for all of you Military Mind listeners, we now have a Patreon account. Please join us and be a Patreon supporter and help you from Military Mind continue to deliver to you the news and views the men and women who have defended and will defend your freedoms. So go to our Facebook page or to our website. Facebook page is View from Military Mind. Our webpage is viewfrommilitarymind.com and click on the Patreon button and become a supporter of viewfrommilitarymind.com and we can continue to bring you the stories and episodes you would like to hear. So without further ado, here's Dust Off Diaries from February 2018. Good morning, and welcome to Dust Off Diaries. This is going to be our first episode. Welcome everybody that showed up, everybody that responded to Messenger. I'm glad you could be here this morning. Um, and as you'll, you'll see, we're slow but surely working through here. Uh, this morning, today, we'll start bringing you the, the stories of Dust Off yesterday and today. Straight from men and women that are involved in Dust Off. We'll give you a little bit of the history of Dust Off, how it started and how it occurred. Um, in today's episode, we're going to cover uh, the beginnings of Dust Off. Uh, or medevac, as it's called, medical uh, aeromedical evacu- evacuation. I'll spit it out. It's Sunday. It's been a long week. Um, from World War One until today, uh, it, people don't realize just how long ago this actually started. People start trying to do aeromedical evacuation. Uh, of course, the, the idea of medical evacuation started back in the, the Civil War, and we'll get into the histories of that and uh, the different things that occurred. Uh, in the second segment, we'll review some of the, the more relevant books that are available today that uh, we've got out there. So I've met some of the authors. I'm uh, proud to call them brothers and uh, sisters. Uh, and we'll look at some, uh, at least three of the books today that uh, I've read and that I have uh, highly recommend for those who want to know something about Dust Off and what we do uh, uh, to read those. And we'll get in those at that time. And then we'll look at uh, some of today's operations and, and the things that are going around with those. Um, how things have uh, advanced and what kind of equipment we're using today. Um, maybe we'll get lucky in today. Some of the, the guys that I've worked with, some of the guys that I know, uh, some of them that are on here just watching will uh, kind of chime in, put in some notes and messages. You can go on the messenger. I'll take a look at it, see what we've got. Uh, answer your questions if you have any. Um, but for the time being, 
let's make a little couple little plugs here. Uh, some of the groups that I support, of course, uh, Dust Off Association. I highly recommend those who've been involved in Dust Off to go to uh, dustoff.org and join up that group. Uh, Dust Off Association is made for all those who've been involved in in Dust Off or have uh, been associated in some way with uh, Dust Off. Either there's an air crew, you know, a pilot, crew chief, medevac, or excuse me, medic. Um, something of that nature. Uh, a little plug for a good friend of mine, Eric Savastan for RTAG, uh, Rotor Airline Group. Uh, you pilots out there and you mechanics out there that work on these big uh, windmills that we fly around in, if uh, you're looking to get out and move on, uh, but want to stay within aviation, uh, look at the uh, RTAG Group Facebook page and uh, get a hold of Eric and move your your career on to commercial aviation. So that being said, little spots and little plugs there. Hope you hope you guys appreciate it. Let me know. <laughs> I can use all the help I can get. Uh, first thing we're come up into, like I talked, like I said earlier in our first segment. Sorry about all the switching back and forth here, and not looking directly at the camera all the time. I'm, I'm still trying to get set up, used to the setup, and how things are going to do. So bear with me today, and we'll we'll get through this and uh, make the show better as we go along. Um, like I said, we're going to get into the the actual a little bit of the history of uh, uh, aeromedical evacuation. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, a lot of people have been confused over the term medevac. Um, not too long ago, and I don't want to take anything away from the PJs, but uh, they had a show on TV called Medevac, and uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> been there, done that. That's not medevac. That's casvac. Um, there's been a lot of conversations and uh, debates over the use of the word medevac or air medical evacuation and how it is used and casavac and dust off. Well, everybody knows dust off is army period dust off. That's what we are. We go in there in the hot zones or where the date and somebody had their worst day of their life in a combat situation. We bring them out. That's our name. Medevac's been kind of, Tossed around. We'll get a little bit about that too, uh, as to where they came up. Uh, a little disparity on the name uh, as, as to why they did that. Um, now, um, air medical evacuation operations, as we know them today, uh, in their basic, very basic form, been around, have been performed since Korea and Vietnam. Um, been ex- in an exceptional manner, they've been executed. Uh, the medical personnel, the hospital, all the things that were going on around. Um, we've done patient and casual evacuation from the Civil War all the way through Spanish-American World War II, World War I, um, in some way or another, either by wheel or by stretcher. Um, then come World War I, we had our first aeromedical evacuation in an airplane. Wow. Uh, put it into the fuselage, brought them out of there, and um, voila, we had our first aeromedical evacuation. Uh, you know, let's go, go back a little bit back to, uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, into the Civil War. Um, they were talking about in the first years of the war, you know, medical ambulances were in short supply. And three days after the first Battle of Bull Run, uh, in July 6, 1861, there's some 3,000 wounded men still laying on a battlefield. So I had to come up with some way to, to get these folks out of there. Um, 
they were setting up beds in the halls of Congress. So it was, it was really a strain. So a few people identified uh, a desperate need for improving their, case, their casualty care and evacuation. So the director uh, of the Army of the Potomac back then, the medical director, uh, John Le Jonathan Letterman, um, he started developing a system of evacuating patients and casualties from the front line. Uh, he called for a, a develop of ambulance companies and uh, permanently detailed soldiers. Now, these are all the basis of Medivac. Um, they finally pushed through what they called the Letterman's Plan or the, uh, uh, the yeah, it was a Letterman's Plan uh, into law on uh, 11 March of six, 1864. And it was tested, Battle of Antietam, which employed field stations, ambulances, a whole bunch. Again, it, it established what we call a chain of evacuation. Now, there's a lot of in-depth history on that. Uh, we, they're not going to get in too deep on it. Now, we move on forward to World War One. Uh, first, motorized, motorized ambulances had come in and replaced the horse and mule-drawn wagons of uh, the early wars. Um, we had our evacuation. Here we talk, you know, the first evacuation of wounded military personnel by an airplane occurred during World War One at Flanders in France. And, uh, 18th of April, uh, 1918. Uh, French medical officer had drawn up plans for the modification of two French planes, and he, he supervised those modifications with enough space for 200 soldiers behind a cockpit. Uh, they were inserted through the side of the fuselage and uh, uh, evacuated out to the next closest hospital. Um, and it was used you know, for a minor extent through World War I. Uh, they kept kept developing and developing and developing. Um, the first one, uh, air medical or air ambulance in the United States uh, was in 1918, where they converted a, a biplane to so a standard army stretcher and fit into the rear area of the aircraft. So, you know, we've, we've come a long way and they kept building up, getting better, uh, providing uh, better care and uh, better uh, air medical evacuation. Um, World War II come along. Uh, a lot of a lot of your military authorities still believe that air evacuation of parents was not only dangerous but was also medically unsound and militarily impossible. Uh, it took a lot of push from a lot of people to, to start saying, "Hey, you know, this is something we can do." Both in airplanes and, uh, of course, helicopters hadn't been invented yet. Um, so, General David Grant, he was the first air surgeon in the Army Air Forces, uh, proposed uh, air evacuation service, and he was met with such opposition. Uh, but he continued to push, and finally, in June of 1942, he got his air evacuation system. Um, first one took uh, the first major uh, evacuation took place in Papua in uh, New Guinea in August of 1942. They evacuated more 13,000 patients over 700 miles to Australia, occurred in seven days because there was a counteroffensive going on in that area. So as we see, we're starting to get. You know, still had a lot of pushback. A lot of people didn't really want to see this happen. They didn't think it would happen. Um, they thought it was dangerous. So, so there was a lot of fighting going on. And as we get into the history later on in the Vietnam, we'll discuss that more. We'll see how much those gentlemen had some issues um, as far as even having their helicopters taken from them. Uh, and, and they couldn't, uh, couldn't hang on to them. But uh, by 1943, the you know the Army Air Evacuation Service had moved a lot of, a lot of wounded soldiers by air transport. You know, just in 1943 alone, 173,000 casual casualties were evacuated back to the United States by air. You know, another 500,000 in 
1944 and 1945, another, you know, 4,500 or 4,500, excuse me, 454,000. I'll spit it out and get ahead of myself here. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, over a three-year period, well over 1 million patients were evacuated. Um, they proved that the new air evacuation doctrine, you know, it showed that air medical evacuation was a great new alternative. And of course, and we had a great key leader who helped us with that. It was General Dwight D. Eisenhower, a Supreme Allied Commander. And admittedly, the president, while well, I was born, that's scary. Um, we evacuated everybody from the Ford hospitals by air. And it was unquestionably, had unquestionably saved hundreds and thousands of lives. Uh, saw our first use of the helicopter at this time, too. <clears throat> uh, Sikorsky had the R-6. And in November of 1943, they made their first evaluation test flight in the, in the R-6. Carried one pilot, one medical attendant, and two simulated litter patients. And they were attached to the outside of the helicopter to facilitate loading and unloading. Excuse me. You know, like we see in the, the MASH movies, you know, the patient could be seen by the pilot and attendant during flight. And uh, April 1944, we had our first actual U.S. Army helicopter medical evacuation rescue and took place. Um, the pilot was Lieutenant Carter Harmon. Uh, he rescued casualties from stranded forces about 25 kilometers west of Malu, Burma. So now we see our first uh, helicopter rescue. He's shown that it's not such a bad idea. Uh, it's something that we can do. And, of course, air evacuation military patients continued after the end of World War II. Um, 1949, Secretary of Defense directed an evacuation of all sick and wounded in peace and war be accomplished by air as a method of choice. Hospital ships and other means would only be used in unusual circumstances. And so the era of aeromedical evacuation had finally come into its own, come out of the dark side or the dark uh, dark ages and was starting to be uh, pushed forward. So as we go along, of course, we get into the Korean War and a lot of us have seen MASH and uh, all the different Korean war things on um, all the different war movies and seeing how they evacuated at that time. Um, of course, we had uh, uh, the little uh, bubble helicopters with the, the pods on the outside. And that's how they started moving those around in Korea. Um, <coughs> excuse me. That's one of those rough days. What do you think y'all think so far? What kind of y'all have any questions or anything of that nature? Be feel free to you know send them on to me. Let me know what's going on. Um, if there's something particular you want to know or something to go back to, we can definitely do that. Anyway, get into the air medical air medical ev uh, evacuation organization structures during Korea. Um, the uh, Army Air Medical Evacuation or Medevac, as it became known, um, was created and developed by soldiers officers in Korea, such as the 8th Army, um, with very little backing from the Army Medical Service. Um, they wouldn't, they didn't really want to back it. Until the concept itself started proving itself, the Surgeon General recognized the need to create the medevac structure in the Army Medical Service and to staff the medevac units uh, with true, med med excuse me, true medical aviators, rather than pilots just borrowed willy-nilly from wherever they get to, um, and even today we see that sometimes we'll borrow a pilot that uh, is not medevac or dust off trained, uh, come in there. He may be assault. He may, and it's not taking anything from those guys. I mean, they're good pilots. They're good at what they do. 
but medevac is a culture that uh, you really have to be, you have to give yourself all into it. You have to be part of it. Um, it's not that you won't be effective. You just won't be as good. Um, but yeah, they, they started getting in to get to the doctor and where they started getting medical aviators, um, getting specially trained medics, even back in Korea, they started looking, you know, specially trained medics they didn't push it too hard, but they did try to get into it. Um, and this is the time too, that, um, you know, the helicopters that they had, they would become de facto army, uh, army medical service members and actually transfer to the medical service course, which we still do that today. Um, <coughs> but, you know, for a long while, we still didn't have true medical service corps pilots until after 1953 armistice. So we're starting to see the development of the, the medevac system here, uh, starting to make it look what, like what we've got today. Uh, we've all seen the stories on TV about all the, the heroics that they put in there. Uh, in the Korean War, Air Force units actually provided the first rotary wing, Kazavac, not aeromedical evacuation. You know, it was Kazavac. Even though the term aeromedical evacuation was used out of context, context throughout the war, you know, describing the Air Force rotary wing casualty evacuation, it was Kazavac, not aeromedical. Uh, it was grabbing several guys that were wounded, putting them on a helicopter, getting them out, no medical treatment en route. Or if it was, it was very minimal. It's only what the guy could do reaching out the door onto a litter that had a cover on it or what they did prior to putting that guy on that aircraft. So that was Kazavac. That was not aeromedical. And we talked about that early on. That, you know, I was talking about the, the misnomer, the, the disparity in there. Like even today, a lot of times now, granted PJs are medically trained, but the level of care that's developed or that is delivered while they're on, say, one of the, the CSAR birds is Kazavac. It's not a, a true aeromedical evacuation. Um, but yeah, as, as they go through, they start developing, uh, the Air Force developed, you know, dedicated aircraft to Kazavac, uh, since there's very little air operation, opposition in Korea, the Army started building up their medevac mission, aeromedical, uh, evacuation. Yeah. Excuse me. Demonstrated extreme, you know, all the different things they could do. I had a demonstration over there that showed how things can done, and they started bringing the back up. But, oh, I see that. Heidi, I thank you for joining, Katrina and Carol. That's great. We got those folks all on board. Hopefully, there's quite a few others. Uh, get a chance to just give me a wave, give me a hi, let me know you're out there. Invite everybody. Go ahead and bring yourselves on. Just send me a note. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you know about. Um, <clears throat> a few minutes here and we'll keep on going. So we're talking about the history of, uh, of Medevac, just touching real light on some of the things. I'm not getting, not trying to get in deep with them. Uh, I could go for hours on this, uh, just giving you some kind of uh, history, uh, the things, and, uh, the heartaches that they went through, the, you know, the episodes at K, K-16 outside of Seoul. Uh, with their helicopter detachment. Um, 8063rd MASH um, that was over there in a fourth helicopter de uh, detachment. Just all kinds of things that went on over there. And I encourage you to get out there and read about the history of Medevac, especially if you're in the military. I could get this hat off. There we go. 
keep running into the microphone, making all kinds of noise. Everybody's probably going, what in the world? But yeah, we can get into a lot of different things. You know, the, the advent of the, uh, the first helicopters that were brought in, uh, which were H-13s, uh, both from Bell and Hiller. And we had Bell 13s and the Hiller H-23s. Had exterior pods on them for litter casualties. One ambulatory casualty could be carried inside uh, the cockpit if required. <clears throat> but those are all histories under their own, and it, it's a very great thing that we that we developed over time. Of course, then we come into uh, to Vietnam. Yeah, you know, that's where we're, medevac really started coming into its own. We've heard the horror stories over there. To, what's going on or what happened over there. Um, hmm. Now, of course, everybody's heard about the 57th Aeromedical. Those who haven't, 57th Aeromedical was your original, full-on, fully established medevac unit. Um, developed, uh, kind of built and grown by Major Charles Kelly, Unfortunately, lost his life in Vietnam doing what he loved in aeromedical evacuation. Um, he brought us today our uh, the saying of medevac until we have your until we have your wounded. Uh, he helped establish and develop those systems we have in place today uh, for medevac and for dust off. Um, it's where the the call sign dust off came from. Uh, was actually in 1967 where they came up with it. Um, still not quite sure. Nobody really knows how that came about. Some of them says it's, you know, when the aircraft comes in, it blows the dust off, you know, the dust off of the, the wounded or blows the dust off the landing zone. Or There's all kinds of stories out there. You guys figure out for yourself where it happened to come from. I'm not sure, and I'm not going to get into that debate. But uh, that is our call sign to this day. And uh, uh, one of those proud call signs that I, I don't think we'll ever go, see go away. But at, you know, as we look back at the different wars, you know, World War II, very few tactical aircraft used to evacuate. In Korea, about one out of every seven U.S. casualties was evacuated by, by helicopter. Um, and as a result, the died of wounds rate dropped 2.5%. Well, during Vietnam, the actual rate dropped even further. Do the evacuation majority of U.S. casualties from front lines by Army dust-off helicopters. While you know, the Air Force Military Airlift Command evacuated the seriously wounded from, from theater by strategic fixed wing back to the U.S. So you, the Army and the Air Force have worked together extensively in the air medical evacuation system, uh, and they are part of it. So please don't ever misunderstand me that you know, they don't have anything to do with it. They do. They're part of that system just dust off and the initiation of aeromedical evacuation begins with the army taking them off the field. Um, of course, we know that the location of Vietnam in relation to the U.S. during that time um, created some problems. You know, it's halfway around the world. So we had to develop this kind of system between the army and the air force, getting them off the battlefield, getting them back into the hospitals <coughs> and getting them back to the U.S. Um, through, through just strategic uh, uh, fixed wing airlift. You know, it was very difficult over there in Vietnam with the waterways, the jungles, lack of infrastructure. You know, so the helicopter came into its own. Um, we started showing how we could use 
hoist operations off the Hueys. Uh, used the Huey aircraft for the first time. Outstanding airframe. Um, had plenty of power to do what we had to do. <coughs> Excuse me. And use the hoist, like I just said. And had this little thing hanging off the, off the end of it called a jungle penetrator. Actually had three seats. Uh, you fold those out and you bring people up on that little piece of cable into the aircraft and uh, get them on their way to... Um, get their, get them on their way to, to medical treatment. Um, these were the new things that were being developed over there. Um, had the trains in the mountains. We had the deserts. We had the rivers. We had the jungles. We had a, a vast opportunity to try different things over there because of the, the particular train that was in, in Vietnam. Um, this is a big part of our history. Uh, it became a routine part of the Army Medical Department's evacuation system in Vietnam. Um, <coughs> and again, it was referred to as dust off and it was um, excuse me, it was adopted in 1963. So um, then the medical corps just started commissioning officer and one officer pilots to utilize this call sign. Listed members of the dust off crews were heirs to the Letterman legacy that we mentioned back from Civil War. Um, you know, it, their measure of devotion that can be gleaned from the statistics. Um, the medical department lost 199 helicopters in Vietnam. One third of the uh, 1,400 dust-off pilots were killed or wounded. Um, and one of our folks that we talked about and threw a little plug out there, the dust-off association, recorded 90 commissioned and one officers killed in Vietnam. Another 380 pilots were wounded or injured as a result of hostile fire crashes. So that's a lot of medevac pilots uh, taking a hit. Uh, casualties among crew chiefs and flight medics included 121 killed and 545 wounded or injured. So we put ourselves out there to bring these folks home. And we do suffer. We do suffer. And we transported nearly 1 million military and civilian casualties during Vietnam. Um, the success of the helicopters was largely attributed to actual helicopters design and, and the flight crews. You know, our, the, the aircraft were outstanding. The flight crews were dedicated, unhesitating, to, to get in there and get our, our wounded men and women out. You know, they had major changes in the Army rotor wing. Um, there were medical evacuation of battlefield casualties, and its organizational structure changed. Um, you know, while some of the dust-off helicopters saw service in Korea were used initially over in Vietnam, you know, then they started bringing in the Huey. So you have to excuse me, I get off on track on sometimes. Um, the larger helicopters were a greater improvement over the predecessors. You know, they carried more. Uh, you could put up to six inside of those helicopters, strategically placed, right? Um, and we're inside versus being outside on the original H-13s and H-23s. We could actually work on them and provide actual care inside, have a medic on board to provide that care. <clears throat> and I had a longer range on them. They had radios and stuff, inside lighting. These are things we didn't have on the H-13 and H-23s in, in Korea. And it looks like, you know, we we're talking about the, the UH-1, the Huey. You know, it, it greatly enhanced or made better the, the battlefield mortality rate. Um, it reduced the uh, loss of people en route uh, and loss of uh, soldiers overall. Um, we, then they start bringing the dust off helicopters, 
close to the tactical front lines than ever before. You know, we can get up there and be within 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes to get out there. Um, we start practicing the golden hour. Um, 20, 30 minutes out, 20, 30 minutes back, get them to a hospital, get them into treatment before that golden hour was over with. Um, of course, with the advent of having radios on the aircraft, we'd call into the dust or call into the uh, the caches and the mashes and whatever the medical hospital was called at that time in those Ford areas. And we'd call in and say what kind of patient condition we have, how many patients we had on board. Those hospitals could set up and be ready to bring those, you know, accept those patients in there. Uh, the medics were starting to get better trained, not just the common first aid that most of them done, the soldiers' first aid. But then now they were uh, into more advanced medical. They could start giving, you know, IVs and fluids and things like that to some extent. Uh, they're still pretty mid medieval by today's standards, but they still accomplished a lot, and they were the beginning of it. Uh, of course, the first helicopter unit sent to Vietnam was the 57th Medical Detachment Helicopter Ambulance, later uh, later nicknamed the Originals. This would not be the only, uh, this would not only be the first medical detachment, but also first aviation unit deployed with the UH-1 helicopter in Vietnam. Uh, the detachment was authorized by uh, T-1E, which that's their equipment listing, to have five UH-1 helicopters. Uh, the organization consisted of two sections. Um, pilot commission officer section of seven that included the commander, maintenance officer, and ops officer. <coughs> and section two is the enlisted soldier section of 21 that included your mechanics, your medics, flight operations, and supply. Um, usually utilized a crew of four, and your aircraft commander, your co-pilot, medic, and crew chief. Uh, they took care of the crew chiefs, took care of the, air, the aircraft, the maintenance, uh, basically in charge of it, making sure it was ready to fly and go. The pilots would fly it, and the medic would take care of the patients in the back. Was, And to this day, actually, the medic's in charge of the aircraft and what it needs to do once that patient is on board. Um, the crew chief's going to protect the aircraft and, like I said, maintain the maintenance on the aircraft. Uh, sometimes crew chief's left behind to allow for additional space for the casualties. We try not to do that anymore because we fly a two-ship system. And um, medics have been known to be left on the ground to take care of patients, especially when they're getting hot. Um, they flew from the early model A model Hueys all the way up to the new uh, UH-1Is, which I have never seen one, but um, used to be able to carry a lot more pilots or a lot more patients and stuff in those. Uh, standard doctoral employment of attachment uh, changed a little from Korea, the Korean War. You know, two helicopters uh, were stationed at one point. And as the fighting escalated, they changed the helicopter's locations in order to improve the response time and increase the number of aircraft. Uh, they had a lot of uh, battles went on during that time. As we, uh, some of us that know the history of Medevac, Major Kelly was always fighting to keep his aircraft. Um, commander didn't know what to do with him if he wasn't really busy. So they'd go, they'd try to steal his aircraft. And it took them some time to get them to realize, look, these aircraft are dedicated. They can't be used to move your troops around everywhere. You got you can't have the Red Cross on them. Uh, a whole bunch of different fights. And Major Kelly was a, a staunch a supporter. He would stand like a little bulldog, keep him from taking his equipment, his personnel, and his uh, his aircraft. Um, but, and he made five helicopters at one time. It was just five helicopters over the whole country. And 
they made it work. And they started getting more and more as uh, the years went on while they were over there. Back on with it. We'll get into some of the books that I was talking about earlier. Uh, I love to read. And I think everybody ought to take that time to read. Um, first book I'll get into, uh, called Bones One Zero. Everybody can see that there. That's by Reuben Ryan, Reuben Doc Ryan. He's a medic that was in Iraq um, and served over there. This is a story about medevac in Iraq, which is one of our most current, uh, or was one of our most current uh, engagements. Um, he was assigned to the Big Red One. Uh, he was originally um, a um, Navy SEAL and got out, come into the Army, uh, went to the 75th Ranger Battalion as a medic, and then got into medevac and uh, worked as a med um, uh, Army medevac flight medic. There we go. I'll get the words right. But it's Bones 1-0, Racing the Reaper in Iraq. Uh, very interesting book, in-depth detail about what he as a medic did there. There's a, so you can see the, the book. A little plug there for uh, Ryan, uh, Doc Ryan. Um, there's several books out there by medics. Uh, I encourage you to go through and find them. Uh, come on the Dust Off Diary Facebook page and let me know what one that uh, you like to read, uh, what ones you have read, so we know, you know more people are looking at out there. I don't see everything every day. I don't always get a chance to go to Books A Million. I don't get a chance to get on the Amazon books all the time. Uh, for those of you who know me out there, you know that uh, I'm currently active with the National Guard and get ready to deploy one more time in Medivac. So I, I don't always have that opportunity to get out there and find the things I want to look at. Um, <laughs> yes, Tracy, you did middle, miss a little bit, uh, but not too much. Uh, the test segment was just that was a test segment. Uh, I'll, I'll try to answer some of these questions on here uh, on the messenger. But uh, the first part you missed was the history. Uh, no problem. I think you got most of it, though, when you came on. All right, going on to our second book. Uh, this one, I've had the privilege and honor to meet this gentleman, uh, General Patrick Henry Brady. Uh, as I said earlier, he uh, he served under Major Charles Kelly in Vietnam, the, the 57th, the originals. Uh, this is about uh, the 57th during the, the Vietnam War. Uh, he had... They themselves, in a 10-month 10 10 month period, rescued 21,000 wounded, both the enemy and friendly, um, and had a went, had won or received 26 Purple Hearts uh, in a 10-month period. That's insane. Uh, that's nuts. It shows you the level of commitment these men had um, to dust off and uh, to getting their brothers and sisters home after being wounded on the battlefield. <clears throat> And a lot of folks don't realize, yes, back then, even then, uh, we had women that were uh, wounded and injured in the field. So, you know, you'll hear me say constantly, our men and women on the battlefield, there's always been both on the battlefield. All of them both have been, had to have be uh, rescued. Um, like I said, this is uh, Dead Men Flying by uh, General Patrick Henry Brady. Uh, there's that book. Pretty cool. This is a Signed copy. Let's see if I can get my fingers out of the way so you can read what it says. There we go. Victory in Vietnam. Uh, awesome gentleman to speak to. He is a Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, Silver Star. Uh, uh, several different Valorous Awards. Purple Heart, of course. Um, awesome man to talk to. You can sit for hours uh, talking to him about his mission in Vietnam and uh, what his thoughts about medevac today are. 
Uh, in fact, our next episode, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to General Brady and uh, we're going to get in a little bit about uh, the, deca- the decline of medevac. So we'll see how things go there, see what he has to say about that. And hopefully we'll get him on here and uh, see what he says, get his input. input. Um, there's a little picture of him in Vietnam with some of his guys with the 57. Um, some of them doing what they're doing. Like I said, this, you know, this gets into their struggles to meet their standards or to meet uh, Major Kelly's standards because he had a very high, very high standard uh, for their guys to meet. Um, this is lesson learned. All their lessons learned by General Brady over there. Um, again, talking about struggling to meet their standards. And, and the book Dead Men Flying, it's you know, a story of the salvation in the midst of, of horror and courage in the face of adversity. Uh, this covers all the stuff that they did over there and, and talks in depth about the men uh, uh, that we call the originals, the 57th Medical Detachment in Vietnam. So good book, awesome book. Uh, if you ever get a chance, those of you who are uh, members of Quad A, Army Aviation Association of America, you get a chance to go up there. Uh, General Brady's always up there, uh, has his book and some of the others he's written. Uh, I encourage you, whether you're medevac or not, go up there, meet the man, speak to him. Um, he's more than willing and very forthcoming about how he feels about today's medevac and uh, how we've got some issues we still need to iron through. Uh, the third book I'm going to take a look at real quick. Like I said, these are very brief. I'm not getting in-depth about the books. Um, but the third one, this gentleman here, we've become good friends over long distance. Um and it's Dust Off 7-3, written by Eric Sabaston. Just currently uh, got out of the military as a W-3. And it's saving lives under fire in Afghanistan. Uh, he actually had the, um, the seventh female, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I will correct that if I'm wrong, uh, to earn the sil- uh, Silver Star. He had a medic. She did several uh, rescues, uh, hoist, and things of that nature with a broken, with an injured back. And uh, she went ahead and did them over a long period of time. So uh, if I remember correctly, a few days. And uh, we'll get into her story because that's a very particular story. And we'll have that one day. We'll get into it and and talk about what she did over there. Uh, Being injured, grievously injured. Uh, She's still with us today. But again, this is Dust Off 7-3, Saving Lives Under Fire in Afghanistan by Eric Savaston. He's also the CEO of RTAG, Rotor Airline Group helping move our pilots and mechanics into the civilian side of things. Um, yeah, it talks about the four unlikely heroes in, this, in the rugged mountains of Afghanistan you know, that were just thrown together. You know, medics were forced to send on wires and reach wounded and pilots fighting wind and weather. You know, and the crew chief controlling those, those hoists. It gets into the concept of evacuating wounded soldiers by helicopters. You know, what we do today to make that happen. Um, but yes, Dust Off 7-3, uh, those three books, Dust Off 7-3, Dead Men Flying by uh, General Brady, and uh, Bones 1-0 by Doc Ryan. I highly recommend those three. And it, it, with each episode, we'll get into more of those to see what they look like and uh, ones that we can recommend. Again, I highly encourage everybody just kind of write to me. Let me know what's uh what you think of what you want to see me do. How do I need to improve it? Um, this is a new thing for me. Uh, I'm not not the world's expert at make, doing these things. 
Uh, it's been a long time since I've been in, involved in any kind of programs or recording or things of that nature. For you folks out there that's seen me um, <laughs> in front of cameras and things like, you know, you see, I got my, my teeth in. That's a, a closed joke. You know, some of the guys out there know about that. But um, we'll get into those stories. That's from my time in Afghanistan the first time uh, with dust off. We'll get into those. But for now, you know, um, it's pretty much what I have. I've been on here for 48 minutes, uh, longer than I expected to be. Uh, we usually try to keep these 30 to 45 minute long, so you're not totally bored out of your life. But up until until we meet again, hopefully uh, next weekend, I will keep everybody posted as to what we're doing. And uh, by all means, send me any suggestions. If you'd like to be on the show and be one of my, my guests and be interviewed, talk about what you did over there, by all means, send me an email at dustoffdiaries2018 at gmail.com or contact me through Messenger here at Dust Off Diaries on Facebook. I'd really love to hear from y'all. I'd love to hear from... Uh, my fellow dust offers out there across the country. Um, let me know what you got going on. Um, I encourage you to join the dust off association and to, uh, get with that, uh, brotherhood and sisterhood there to, uh, uh, further our goals and to, uh, keep our story and our history alive. It's something that's very honorable and, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Uh, <clears throat> but for dust off diaries and for the men and women who are, have been dust off and who aren't dust off now. Thank you. Good luck. Have a good day. And uh, we'll see y'all soon. Then a Valkyrie Productions podcast, copyright 2020, with your host, Terry Mills. Thank you for listening to our show, and we will see you on the next one. God bless, and have a good day.